Welcome to the Calvary Lake Ozark Message Podcast. Wherever you are tuning in from today, we hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like more information about Calvary Lake Ozark, visit calvarylakeozark.com. This is our last Sunday of our sermon series talking about unexpected. Talking about what does kingdom living look like in an earthly reality. And this morning we're talking about unexpected greatness. And you might be thinking, well, this is a little different, Nick. If we look at the other themes, we have unexpected humility, uh, forgiveness, commitment, sacrifice, grace, and now greatness. Well, we're going to let Jesus define what this means for us. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 20, we're going to start in verse 17. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside And on the way, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, up to Jesus with her sons, kneeling before him. She asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and he said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them and it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Then stopping, Jesus called them. And he said, what do, you want, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, in compassion, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sights and followed him. And so he... he you're seeing Jesus going up to Jerusalem, and no matter where you lived around Jerusalem, if you were walking to, to Jerusalem, you were always going up. This is not a directional thing. This is an elevation thing. Jerusalem was up, so if you lived around it, walking to it, you were always going up, no matter where you came from. And we know that Jesus' ministry lasted three years, and so they went to Jerusalem at least three times to celebrate Passover. So to the disciples, this was probably nothing new or different. Going to Jerusalem for Passover. It's what we do. We're Jewish. But as they're going, he says, you know what? You've been hearing me talk about 
how my life is going to end, how I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be persecuted, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be raised on the third day. He says, this is that time. This is that trip. This is where it all ends, or in reality, this is where it all begins. And so we see that it, Jesus is saying that the Son of Man will be delivered. And I love that term because it made me think, well, who's handing Jesus over? You know, who's grabbing Jesus up and handing him over? And so if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 10, starting in verse 17. It says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so this isn't anything that is accidentally or unintentionally happening to Jesus. It wasn't they were just hanging out at Passover and they just found out, you know what, Jesus is here. He's got a little revolution going and so let's kill him. This is all within the Father's will. This is all within the control of Jesus. And so Jesus is in obedience, laying down his own life, that nobody's doing this from him. And he understood the fullness of what this day, what these events were going to take place that his and Jesus's execution was going to be his exaltation. You know, so as he's coming in and he's going to take his throne, he viewed the cross as his throne. And so it kind of sheds a little bit of light when you hear the, the words of this mom saying, hey, I want my two sons to sit on each side of your throne. I don't think she understood that Jesus saw the cross as his throne. And it says, it's not my place for those that's going to be granted by my father. But he does say they will drink of my cup. And we, and we understand that later as he's praying in the garden. Jesus is saying, Lord, take this cup from me, this cup of suffering and this crucifix. Like if there's any other way that we could do this, he's game. He's ready. Lord, if you got any other way to make this happen without me going to the cross, Jesus was fine with it. But at the end of it, he says, Lord, I want your will to be done, not my own. And so the primary reason Jesus went to the cross was not for our salvation and to pay for our sin. The primary reason Jesus went to the cross was out of obedience to the Father. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Because the payment of sin needed to be taken place, even if somebody repents and turns to Jesus in faith, or even if not, that sin needs to be punished. Just like that sacrificial lamb in the day of atonement that the sin was imputed on that animal and that animal was sacrificed and the blood was, was sprinkled about, like the, the payment of sin needed to be done. That's why Jesus is our fancy term here, our propitiation, that the wrath of God was poured out on him, that he fully endured and suffered the wrath of God for us. And that was out of obedience to the Father. And so Jesus, viewing his cross as his throne, now when this mom is saying, hey, this is what I want for my son, I want him to sit next to you on the throne. 
It's almost kind of going back to, if you remember in chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus said, truly I say to you, in the new world, the son of man will sit on his glorious throne and you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. And so this mom maybe kind of heard that and you know how moms are. They don't like their kids being last place. That if we're all getting thrones, well, I want my kids to have the best thrones. I want them to sitting close to you. I want them sitting in the front of the class, right by the teacher. I want the best of the best for my kids. But when we understand what the throne of God truly is, what Jesus viewed as his throne, again, his execution being his exaltation, he's saying, you will drink my cup. And he's looking at these two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and you look at their lives and they end completely different. Uh, James is the only apostle who his death is recorded in scripture, Acts 12. Harold, Herod had him killed by the sword, most likely beheaded. He was the first, first apostle killed. And then you have John, the last one to die. And he had to die of old age, poor guy. Had to live through getting old, body wearing out slowly. It's like, man, my brother had it good. He got out early, and I've had to live through all this. He's been in heaven this whole time, and I've had to be here. So James being the first killed, John being the last, but they both drank the cup that Jesus was talking about. And I think there's a truth for us in that, that it's not what happens to us or doesn't happen to us. It's not what we do or don't do that determines our faithfulness, but our obedience to Jesus. Same thing with like Matthew and Zacchaeus, both tax collectors, both encounter Jesus, but have two different trajectories of their life. Same thing with James and his brother here, John, that they both encounter Jesus but their lives indifferently, both faithful. And sometimes we look at that and we think, oh, the work that this person is doing, they're going overseas and persecuted places, they're so faithful, and I'm just a spiritual loser because I'm afraid to even bring up Jesus at my workplace. No. What has God called you to do? Your faithfulness to what he has called you to do, that's what determines your faithfulness. If you're obedient, just because what God calls me to do or for you to do is going to be different doesn't mean our faithfulness to him is any different. Do simply what he called you to do. And if that's a James and you get to be killed early and quick, well, God bless you. Or if you're going to be a John and live out being old, well, God bless you. That's what he called for you to do. But what we can't do is compare each other and think that, oh, my life's different or my faith journey is different than that person and I'm less or more faithful because now we're comparing ourselves and we should be keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. But the kind of the whole theme this morning, talking about this unexpected greatness, so you're hearing this request and, and even the other 10 get a little upset about it. They're almost like, did Jesus just give them some preference? Are they, are, they, are they getting a better deal than me? Like, what's going on here? And I think Jesus, again, he calls him to him. He says, guys, quit worrying about authority. Quit worrying about who's in charge. He goes, that's not even my heart. Because the son of man, he came to serve, not to be served. It's not about us. 
It's about what God has called us to do. And so obedience and servanthood, they're going to go hand in hand in kingdom living. That for us to be obedient to Jesus means we're going to be a servant to others. And if we're going to be serving others, we have to be obedient to Jesus. And so if we're going to have unexpected greatness to have this kingdom living in an earthly reality, we're going to need obedience and servanthood. And, and we can't follow Jesus from a distance or by proxy. That there's going to be things that Jesus is going to call us to get all up and in it. All like front line of it. That it can't be, no, that's, that's for those Christians. That's what they do. Or no, those, that's for them. They're really passionate about that. And think that we can just write a check to the Pregnancy Help Center and never step foot in the place. And never counsel a young pregnant couple. That might be what God is calling us to do. Or we can't just give money or resources to a filter of hope that the, the call might be for us to actually go into one of those countries and present the gospel using this filter. That there is going to be something that Jesus calls you to do. And you can't unload that or, or offload it to somebody else and say, no, 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 that's not for me. That's for the professionals. That's for Pastor Nick or Pastor Sean. That's for the staff. That's not for me. No, there's going to be something that Jesus is going to bring before you. And he says, this is your, this is your cup to drink. Will you serve? Will you obey me in this? Because we're all called to go where Jesus went. We're all called to speak to the people that he spoke to. We're all called to love those whom he loved. Doesn't that sound exciting? Look who Jesus hung out with. The low, the lost, the overlooked, the oppressed. I had the opportunity this Friday. Got to go and hang out in the parking lot of all the strip clubs. That's your pastor, right? Didn't have anything else going on. There's a ministry with other churches. They're not even really a church thing. It's just Christians that say, hey, there's, there's, there's something going on in our community, and we're, and we're not okay with it. And finally, there's a few of them that said, you know what? I'm finally, I'm, I'm not okay being okay with it, so we're going to do something. And so they, they team up, and I was on the security team. Luckily, nothing went down. <laughs> this doesn't really scream security. <laughs> Just going to preach the truth, right? And so we, we had guys being security in the parking lot, and, and, and we had ladies that made gifts and, and, and like little goodies, and they went into the clubs, and they would spend like an hour in there. I had to sit in a parking lot for like five hours and do nothing. But I knew that the ladies that went in that were praying for and listening to, I couldn't imagine what some of these women have to hear when they work in clubs like that. And so if that meant me sitting in a parking lot for three hours because this follower of Jesus wants to share the love of Christ to her in some way, I'll sit in there in the parking lot forever. And it was great. Again, nothing happened, so that was good. And we're always looking for more people. So if you're interested, come talk to me and I'll point you to someone. But we need to go where Jesus went. We need to love on those people that Jesus loved. We're, it, it's going to put us against some shady people. The world is really probably going to question our faithfulness to Jesus. And they should. Because they question Jesus by who he hung out with. 
The world should look at us and say, are you really Christian? Because the people that you hang out with, not so much. And it's like, well, there's something called being on mission. And there's no reason for me to hang out with a bunch of Christians. You're all already saved. We're going to hang out plenty in the new kingdom, all right? Like, so if I miss you on a Sunday morning, don't worry. We got eternity to catch up with one another. Please don't be offended. But he's calling us, every one of us. And that's going to look different. And that's okay. And I think it's actually really good that it is going to look different. But it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. When our lives are all about him and we are filled with the compassion and love for those around us, this is that servanthood that he's calling, that he exampled for us. It might be cliche and a little bit over uh, marketed, but the whole what would Jesus do? It's a good question. And I love that there was even another ministry that said, hey, we're going to answer that. He would love first. And I agree with that. But all we have to do is look at Jesus and think, not what would Jesus do, but what is he calling me to do? How am I going to be the hands and the feet and the heart of Jesus in this situation? Let it be at a strip club, let it be in an abortion clinic, or let it be just at our work. What is Jesus calling me to do today? And here's the simple part. There's no mystery in it. Do it. Just simply do what Jesus is asking you to do. And then go home, go to sleep. Hopefully you wake up and your voice is normal. And you do it again. And each time that he's calling us to say, hey, this is who I want you to be today in this situation. It's not only ministering to the people that we're serving, but as we're being used by God, or his workmanship, as Gary read, it's changing us. That word in the Greek means poema. That's where we get the word poem from. Used by God, our broken, horrible, nasty, dirty lives, filled with the grace and the mercy of Jesus, written over with redemption and reconciliation and purpose and value. This is this beautiful poem that the world gets to hear and see in us. I know some of you manly men are like, my life ain't no poem. It is if you're walking with Jesus. That we, that we do need biblical men that are going to be rough and tough and stand for the things that God has called us to stand for. But if we're serving, if we're serving is not done out of a love for others around us, it's really not kingdom serving then. And that's when we start flirting with being Pharisees and we start flirting with this, that we answer the call in obedience to Jesus of what we're trying to earn but because of what has already been given to us that it flows out of our worship and out of the gift of grace and of salvation that we have and so ministry serving it's interchangeable here it's all about obedience to Jesus it's all about serving others around us and we're all in ministry just because the church might not sign your paycheck doesn't mean you're not in ministry. It might say school of the Osage. You might be retired. Then your own boss and you can do whatever you want. And that's pretty dangerous. But I don't care who signs your paycheck. But we're all in ministry. And how are we serving Christ 
within that. And I know you might be thinking, well, Nick, you don't understand. Well, I, you know, so I'm going I'm to pick on Sperling just because he's awesome. He's a teacher. The school district in the state puts requirements on him that he probably can't do exactly everything that he would want to in his heart for the Lord. Yeah, Jesus was under the same kind of restrictions from Rome. And the church has always been under restrictions like that. But it never stops. There will be fine ways, no matter what, you know, institution that we are working under, there are still ways to be the body of Christ. Let it be a principal, teacher, let it be a nurse or a doctor at a hospital. That we're all in ministry and simply being obedient to Jesus, serving others around us. Because real ministry, real serving, it's not about us. It's not about the minister. It's about who we are serving. It's about who we are ministering to. This is where greatness in the kingdom comes from. You know, go full like Psalms 23 about it. Is it more about the shepherd or the sheep? Because I'm sure the shepherd would want to move at a faster place or go different places. But again, it's not about him. It's about who he is serving. Same thing for me. It's not about me. It's about the flock that God has given me to serve. And the same for you. It's not about you. It's about the people that God has given you to serve. Let it be little munchkins at an elementary school. I don't know how he does it. Pray for that man. I get a cold sweat just being around my four. And they're my own flesh and blood. But God has gifted you and given you a platform to share the love of Christ and to serve those around. The, the, the occupation is just the opportunity. And so servanthood and greatness, they go hand in hand in the kingdom. As we have this kingdom living, servanthood and greatness go hand in hand. That if you want to be great in the kingdom, you're going to be serving a lot. And it's not going to be about you. And, and your desires, your selfish ambition, we're going to have to lay down. But isn't that what he's always called us to do? Is to lay down our lives, take up our cross, to follow him, that the life that we live is not about us, that I've been crucified in Christ, as Paul would say in Galatians 2.20. And the lives that we now live, we live by faith. Even the verses that Gary read that were his workmanship for the good works that he's already prepared for us. And so let it be in any ministry. What's God want me to do? He's already thought that out. You don't have to wait and wonder, like, wonder what God has for me. You're not waiting on him. He already has it planned. He's just, he is calling us to a deeper level of obedience that we would serve those around us. And I love how Jesus has this huge teaching moment talking about, you know, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, give his life as a ransom for many. Talking about serving, and then he moves right into an opportunity to do it. And you see these two blind men that are just sitting along the road, which is very custom in this culture. And you can go, and we even see it in our own. You know, in our hometown, there's a, we call it the Belt Highway. When you were a teenager, that's where you cruised and tried to pick up chicks. Or you just drove around and looked like an idiot. So 
but it was a really busy uh, road. And then there was another one called Frederick, and, and that was just, that's St. Joe. Who said St. Joe? Yes, that's where I'm from, St. Joe. There we go. <laughs> Somebody knows my hometown. Here we go. That was the busiest intersection. And it would be very normal for people to sit there with a sign asking for help because that's where the most traffic was. Kind of like when you're hunting deer, you put the salt block by the trail. You don't try to put the salt block away from it. You put it where the deer are. And so they're walking and these two blind men are sitting there and they're and most likely just trying to collect money just to get by because they can't provide for themselves. But then they hear the commotion and they probably heard in the distance somebody talking like, oh, here comes Jesus or here comes the guy that thinks he's the Messiah. Here comes. And they're hearing that. And could you imagine not being able to see and you're just hearing this commotion and, and it's getting loud and you don't know where he's at. You don't know how far off of he is. And your only hope that you think that you have is just to start screaming and hollering the name of Jesus. Imagine the level of desperation that these men have. And that's not a negative thing. That is such an inspiration that I hope my life would have multiple moments in it where just out of complete desperation, the only thing that I knew to do was to scream and holler out for Jesus to intervene in my life. That that shouldn't be something like, oh, I never want to be that. I want that daily in my life. That if I'm trying to live my life without being completely dependent upon Jesus, that's not the life that he's called us to live. And so Jesus, he hears that, even though the crowd's yelling at him to shut up. And he walks over and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, that's such a dangerous question. <clears throat> In my immaturity, I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't ask me that. Because I'm afraid I would answer in the most ungodly, unholy ways. But I'm sure my answer would never bring anybody closer, including myself, to Christ. But for some reason, Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, we want to we see, open up our eyes. And what I love is that the greatest work of Christ for us is transformation in us. That it wasn't just that he opened their eyes, but that he absolutely transformed their lives, that they could work again, that they had value and purpose within this community and within this culture. And any time that there was any physical illness or ailment, it was always viewed as an, a consequence of sin. Probably thinking that about me, like, oh, he's a sinner. He's got this raspy voice. What'd he do? But that's how it was in this culture. When they would see somebody blind or paralyzed, it, it's... They, they had that thought that it was because of their sin. But the greatest work in us is the transformation of Christ moving in our hearts. And even for us, there's going to be crowds that are going to be trying to rebuke against us, trying to pull us and to keep us away from Jesus. And if you just look at the sheer numbers, we're a little outnumbered in the world. But just because we're in the minority doesn't mean we're on the losing side. That there's going to be a stronger, louder voice. There's going to be a stronger opposition to not follow Jesus, to not serve him, not to be obedient to him. But what did these two guys do? They hollered all the more. So what do we do when opposition hits us? 
What do we do when the crowds are trying to quiet us down? Sing louder. Shout louder. And sometimes that doesn't even need our voices or our words to do it, but just serving. Because I don't think it's the crowds that provide the biggest hindrance into our walk with the Lord. I think it's our own hearts. That the, the easiest way for us to quench the spirit in our life is to just, just merely hold our heart at a distance from Jesus. That we might give him the external parts of our life. Yeah, I'll go to church. I'll be in a life group. I might serve here and there, but I'm going to hold on to my secret sins. I'm going to hold on to the things that I want control over. I'm not going to completely hand my life to Jesus because I'm afraid of what he might call and ask me to do. And so we're just going to quench the spirit and hold on. It's like I gave you these things, Lord, but I will not let go of this. And I'm the biggest hypocrite. And I do that all the time in my own life. But what Jesus wants to do in us is always initiated in the quiet, secret places of our hearts. It's not just changing the external. I remember the, the day that I truly laid down my life and surrendered to Jesus. We and my wife, well, she wasn't my wife. She was my hot girlfriend at that time in premarital counseling. We walked out even though we, we cried and we were snotting and it was an, a great, an amazing moment. My life was still dirty, rotten, and lame. And that began the, the transformation and that sanctification where my life became more like Jesus, walking in obedience to him. But it started here. And it's still moving here first. And that's why it's good for us to get away and to have those quiet moments with the Lord that we can hear that still, soft voice because the crowd's always going to be louder. And I think that's why there's a call on us for us to keep singing, keep praying, keep worshiping even louder with our lives. That we should be very odd, different people that the world should see us and they're just something peculiar about, I mean, we're already odd. Accept it. It's okay. But let us be odd for Jesus. Let him see us and for some reason we have this unconditional love for one another. That we have this unconditional love for people that in a past season of our life we would call our enemies. Why do you love those people? Don't you know what they do? You might be looking like, why would you go to the strip clubs? Like, don't you know what those people, don't you know what happens in those buildings or outside of those buildings? Absolutely. But if Jesus came back right now, where do you think he would go? Where would he want to share the love and the grace and the mercy that he showed us? That's where he is calling us to go. And that's where we need to allow Jesus, just like these blind men, touch our eyes, touch our hearts, touch our minds, that we need to recover from our own sin and our struggles where we're holding on to the world more than that we're holding on to Jesus. That we need that same healing work in our life. That it's not just this one and done, I gave my life to the Lord, I did the prayer. No, I need it every day. I need a touch from the Lord every day in my life because my heart's just going to grow numb. My eyes are just going to grow dim. Ministry's hard, and we're all in ministry. One of my prayers is that I would, I would have thick skin, but a soft heart, 
And what you see in ministry a lot is that we'll have soft skin and every little critique or pushback will just so offend us, but then our heart grows numb. And then we lose our love for Jesus. We lose a love for those around us. And so we need a touch of Jesus that we're going to recover and that we could truly see what kingdom living is about. And so just recapping our series, that he's called us to unexpected humility. We surrender and submit our lives, that he's called us to unexpected forgiveness. I love those stories that you see in a courtroom where, you know, the, the victim's family will just walk up and hug and forgive the killer. It's like, how could they do that? It's the love of Christ. That's an unexpected forgiveness. We need that same thing, an unexpected commitment or sacrifice that God's going to call us to, that Jesus is going to bring before us. And are we going to lay down our wants, our desires, our ambition to follow Jesus? And we can't be shocked if we're going to see unexpected grace, that he has absolutely, you know, he will never be unfair to us, but he will pour out more on others than us. But we have to understand that that's a win for the body of Christ. That if God pours out more blessing on Andy, that's a win for me. Or if he pours out more blessing on Jeff, that's a win for me because I'm, we're a part of the body of Christ. And if one part wins and is blessed, we all win. And then unexpected greatness. And to be considered great in the kingdom is to serve great. And I love the quote from Mother Teresa. This old little nun that lived in Calcutta. She would bring in the dying and the destitute, those with leprosy that were uh, kicked out of their culture and their families, and she wasn't trying to extend their life, but just give them a space of hope that they could die with dignity. But she would say that there's, there's nothing great that we can do with our lives. There's no great thing that we can do. It's going to be small things, but are we going to do them with a great love? And if we love Christ, then we will serve those around us. And Jesus says that's how they'll know that we're his disciples is by our love for one another. Not this ooey-gooey, hey, love you, mean it, but that we would serve that we would lay down our lives for those around us. So, Father, we love you. And we trust you even when it doesn't make sense. Even when you call us into situations that we have no idea what to do or how to respond or how to react, I just pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would give us the words to speak that you would give us opportunities to serve you as we serve those around us. And I pray each of our lives as we continue in ministry to you, Lord, would bring about kingdom impact in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our communities. Lord, I pray that you would find us faithful to who and to what you have called from us. 
and forgive us when we try to hold back portions of our life and when we're afraid to lay down that before you, Lord. Give us a boldness. Give us a courage to serve you with everything that you have given us. Give us that kind of faith, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.